This is the Church Security Made Simple podcast, giving leaders practical solutions to help make your community safer. I'm your host, Simon Osmo, and I'm on a mission to keep his churches safe. Now, it's been over 10 years since the Lord called me into security ministry, and as a national church safety practitioner supporting churches across the country, I'll share my expertise to give you simple solutions to keep your church safe. So if you're ready to make your church security simple, come join me and let's dive into this week's episode as we learn how to plan, prepare and protect our ministries. In today's podcast episode, I'm talking with Stephen Williford. Now you may remember Stephen from the Sutherland Springs tragedy in 2017 where 26 people lost their lives at the hands of an armed gunman. Now, Stephen, being at home that Sunday morning, he heard the gunfire and immediately left his house, grabbing his AR to confront the armed gunman. Now, what happened next is something that most of us train for, but pray to God that never happens. He found himself in the middle of a gunfight with an assailant with an armed automatic rifle and wearing Class C body armour. Now, I've got to become friends with Stephen over the last few years. I'm actually honoured enough to meet him at the Faith-Based Security Network's annual event in Missouri this past summer. But our conversation took a different twist from the normal good guy with a gun story and focused on the mindset behind being in a shooter as a civilian. Now, I'm hoping that this will help prepare you for that day should you ever find yourself in the same position. But before we dive into the episode, I want to tell you about the sponsor of this podcast series, Ballas Insurance. Now, Ballas Insurance are based in Minnesota, but serve churches, non-profits and companies across the country, teaching them how to manage and mitigate risk. And I've known Mark Ballas, the owner, for coming up to a decade, and they are my personal insurers of my business. So if you're looking to make sure you have the right coverage or want to look at insurance in a new way, reach out to Mark and his team. You'll find the link in the bio below. Now, without further ado, let's dive into this week's conversation with Stephen Williford. Well, Stephen Williford, really great to talk to you. And I know we've um, known each other for a couple of years. I would consider you a, a friend uh, and I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Most people will know you as being the good guy with the gun. Uh, you were the person that had the moral compass. You were the person that had the training experience. And you also had God with you on that day when you had to intervene when an armed gunman had sadly killed several people within your community at Southern Springs at the First Baptist Church. So, Stephen, you know, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for everything that you did during that incident and have done post to try and advocate church safety and security. So uh, really looking forward to this conversation with you today. Well, thank you for having me on, Simon. It's, it's a great privilege. Well, and if people can't see you, I can see you on video. You're wearing the, the, the cowboy hat as well. So being from Texas, it must be, you know, it's compulsory. You've got to wear a cowboy hat. So I love that. Stephen, I want to talk about the the post-incident now. So we know that the tragic events in Sutherland Springs, First Baptist, you know, an armed gunman went in there and no community ever wants to go through what your community had to, to go yeah. through. But there's so much learning still, even sort of coming up to four-year anniversary. And a lot of it is about the sort of the mindset. So I travel around the country, talk to a lot of safety teams, and the question always comes down to, should we use firearms as part of our uh, sort of safety team, sort of arsenal or, or tool, if you like, to defend ourselves. Uh, and there's, we're not really going to 
cover that question today with the answer being yes or no. But what I want to get into is the mindset of someone that has been there to help people that are carrying firearms inside the church. What does it actually mean? So you were at home that day, but maybe start by telling us a little bit of to what, had, what had led up to your journey. So you were known as the person that was at home. You heard gunfire. Within a few moments, you're in this sort of civilian gunfight, if you like, with, with an armed assailant. But what skills and experiences did you have that equipped you for that specific moment in time to say, yes, I know what I need to do? Well, I guess uh, fourth generation in Sutherland Springs. My great-grandfather bought the property that actually I own now, and uh, my kids are all building houses on and raising my five now five grandchildren on that same property. My great-grandfather used to play Santa Claus in the uh, local area. He would dress up like Santa Claus, and he would deliver toys to low-income families and things, and just whoever came up to the, the little local grocery store at the time. And I remember that distinctly. My great-grandfather also used to take us as very young boys out into the community and deliver food baskets to people that were struggling all year long, not just during Christmas, but he taught me a sense of community and what my community meant to us. My father was a very hardworking dairyman. He and I don't know how many people know much about a dairy, but it it's it takes a lot of work to run a dairy, and it's it's twenty four seven. You don't get days off, and so my great grandfather just took it upon himself to take my my brother and I and show him show us what community meant to us. And I remember growing up as a teenager when I bought my first car, and I bought my first car myself off of what I earned, uh, digging sweet potatoes, hauling watermelons, hauling hay, picking tomatoes and things like that. When I was a young man, I bought my first car and I took it into town. And I, as any young teenage boy would do, I did a little bit of hot riding. By the time I came back to the house, my father knew where I had been. He knew what I was doing, and he told me, he said, son, you're a Wooliford. You're better than that. Your community knows you. You represent our family. The bond between my community and who I was was formed as a very young man. Sutherland Springs is Mayberry, USA. And what I mean by that is, you know, city folks move into country towns, and they hate it because everybody knows everything that you've got going on. They know your business. They got the nose in your business. And I always tell them, if you don't have bad business, that's not a bad thing. Because if you're hurting and you're struggling, they come knocking at your door and deliver food baskets or whatever, or come and pray with you because they know what's going on and they know it before you know to ask for help. And I'm honored to be part of that kind of a community that's what the U.S. used to be, and that's what we must, as a country, come back to being. Uh, I tell people all the time that uh, November 5th, 2017 didn't define Sutherland Springs. Instead, it shined a spotlight on my community to show the rest of the world what it means to be a community and to pull together during tragedy. I we we were part of a, a church group long ago that was called a shepherding group and it's what a shepherding group is it's a smaller group within a large church 
and the men in that shepherding group, uh, we all like to shoot. And so we decided that we would start training our kids to do the same. And so we would, on Sunday mornings, we would go to church. And then after church, we'd all go out to eat wherever we wanted for lunch. And we would meet at the shooting range for a competition shoot. And we got NRA certified to teach. And so we started teaching the kids. We had started a youth shooting league. And so the men would go out on the range and we would start working with the kids and training the kids. And the women would go out and start shooting a women's shooting league. When they were done, then they would come pick up the kids. And then it was the men's turn to go shoot our competition. And they would take the kids back and start getting dinner ready and ready for the Bible study. We would shoot our competition and then we would go and we'd meet and and, uh, have dinner and a Bible study that night. If we didn't even know it, but we knew the range was sending other kids down to shoot with our kids. And one particular really hot summer, the kids said, you know, it's really getting hot. And do we have to do this? And it's like, well, we're doing this for you guys. If you don't want to do it, we won't. And so we stopped going to the range for about three weeks in a row. And we had no clue. The range called us up and the range said, we don't know if you guys know this or not but everybody in the range calls you our church group. And they said, we like the atmosphere of our range when you're here. They said, when you're here, the language in the range house cleans up. More families come to our range. What do we have to do to get you guys back out there? So we gathered the kids up and said, we have a meeting now. We are no longer shooting for our enjoyment we are a ministry now. We had no clue that God was blessing us and sending people to us, and we were reaching people. Our team was called the sinners, and uh, if you don't know what the word sin in the Bible is, sin means missing the target. It's an archery term, missing the target. And one of our men that was in the group, he was a former army ranger, and a San Antonio police officer. And him and I would train between competitions, our league shoots. We would train in between competitions and he trained me what to do if ever confronted with class three body armor. Now, why would a plumber need to know that? I believe that God was forming me into a tool for a purpose. And and how many years ago was that Stephen prior to the 5th of November 2017 at Southern Springs. We, we're going back a long way. It was it was back 2001, 2002. Well, so almost 14, 16 years, you are on a journey of improving skills. And I'm also hearing in there that your church group was also understanding why shooting is necessary, but also doing it from that compassion that you're changing other people's attitudes and behaviors when they're around your group. So it's a powerful. I just wanted to make sure I understood that and, and make sure that was clear for the for the listeners that you were being primed by by the Lord uh, and you're, you're also warming people's hearts to understand that firearms may be necessary, but they're respected, they're respected at all. Yeah, sorry. Carry on. I just wanted to make sure I got that, got that in. Colonel Grossman, when he wrote his book, Colonel Grossman said that a golf course is a willful misuse of a perfectly good rifle range. 
And what Colonel Grossman means when he wrote that was, is whatever you do for a hobby should have a practical purpose. And nobody would have ever thought that we would ever have to, that I would ever have to confront a shooter. The competition and and stuff that we were doing prepared me for that moment. And can I ask you about that moment? So I really want to get into the mindset now. So maybe if you can just tell us the story. So I know that Sunday you're at home, you even had your shoes off. And I feel like if I remember it correctly, I think you told me this before, but you thought at first it could have been rain coming on the side of the windows. And then you realized that it wasn't rain. It was a gun. Do you mind just telling us that section of the story as to how you became aware there was an active shooter at the first? I, I actually thought it was someone tapping on the window from outside, just just tapping on the window. And so that's what I thought it was. And your mind kind of goes to make something normal out of something that is very abnormal. Uh, and, and it's called denial. And we all go through it in some ways. And the quicker that you get out of that that mindset of denial and realize the truth, the quicker you need to get into action. That morning, I was hanging out in my bedroom uh, in my bed with my telephone, checking messages and things. And because I was going to start an on-call at the hospital the next day, which I knew I was going to do anywhere from 20 to 30 extra hours of work that week at any given time of the day or night. They were, I was going to be called in. And so I stayed home from church that day. And I don't believe in coincidences. There was a purpose for me being there. Yeah, I, as soon as I realized that it w- was gunfire, I ran to my safe. And I believe that God was speaking to me at that moment. And I was, I was hurrying as fast as I could to get into the fight because I knew he had... I knew those gunshots were aimed at people that I cared about. I just want to pause there because you said something which is really profound and it's something that we all suffer from in our lives. You said that um, we try to normalize, when we hear something that could be bad, we try to normalize it in our minds, tied into denial. And that, I love that, Stephen, because that is so true. And you said when you realize the truth, that's when you knew you need to take action. So at first you thought someone could have been tapping on your window. You normalized it. You realized that it was gunfire and you immediately knew that you had to take action once you knew the truth, you got your firearms. I'd love to get your mindset again, tying us into a church safety team. When these guys and girls across the country could be civilians like you and I are, I'm former law enforcement. You're a very highly skilled NRA instructor and you know done various different things, uh, lifelong around firearms. When you opened your front door and you could see the assailant, body armor on, maybe do you mind telling us a little bit about your your emotions to get that into context for other people? Were you, because of your experience, were, were you calm? Were you still sweaty like anyone else? Were, were you nervous? What were you feeling as you opened your door and were confronted with that, that assailant? Well, when I saw him come running out of the church and he had class three body armor, you know, the 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 silliest question I've ever been asked is, were you scared? And I like to tell people, no, I wasn't scared at all. I was flat terrified. I was way past scared. Uh, but was I calm? And I truly believe that the Holy Spirit was over me because I was dead calm. I was so calm 
when I think back about it, it it's, it's kind of eerie how calm I was. I was selecting my shots. I hit him six out of six rounds, most of which went into the body armor, which meant it didn't make any difference. But when I was being trained by that officer, he said, hit them in the body armor. They'll feel it and look for your chance to put one in the side, one in the hips and one in the legs. Well, I, I hit him in the left chest on the body armor. I hit him in the abdomen on the body armor and those left contusions on his body. And when he ran for his vehicle, he turned to his side. I hit him once in the side, high in the side, and I hit him once in the legs. And he was able to get into his vehicle, slam the door, put two more shots through the side window. I put one where I perceived his head to be. Now, he had on a ballistic bulletproof helmet also. And I put one through the window where I perceived his head to be. I couldn't see it because of the reflection of the sun but it split across his forehead right beneath the uh, helmet line. He accelerated, turned the corner, and he ran away as fast as he could. By the time I got in the middle of the street, he was about 150 yards away. I put one through the back windshield that went through the driver's side wind, uh, seat, and it hit him just right of the left shoulder blade. And he topped the hill and out of sight, looked off to my left, and I saw Johnny Langendorf. I didn't know who he was. Well, I know. I want to pause there because there's something I want to get out from from that uh, story. And it's I think people listening to this are gonna uh, they're gonna form the assumption that it sounds like a bit of a movie, and that is what these incidents are like. I mean, this is real life. It's quick decisions that's been made. But my question for you, Stephen, is: so you felt this, the calm, which is the Lord, softened your heart and mellowed your mind to what you're about to face. But for all your years of experience of being firearms, teaching in the church, teaching uh, civilians how to use firearms, when you're in that moment, where would you say your skill set dropped from? You know, if you said that you're 100%, because of a situation, did your skill level drop and you, as you were missing or not hitting areas where you wanted to, where you were aiming? Does that question make sense? Where, where, where did your level drop to? Because I always say that you sort of default to the level you're training in stress. <laughs> Maybe that's the easiest way for me to get my question out, Stephen. Where, where, where did the stress drop you to? Because I think everyone would, everyone knows that you are very good and proficient with firearms. But where, where did your level of skill drop to? I think it elevated to about 150%. <laughs> I guess you, yours elevated. Okay. Yeah. Uh, because those shots, I so... The national average for police and police shootings, the national average is 17% hits. And that's trained police officers. They average about a 17%. And I hit six out of six rounds. And I, you know, and that's, you know, I hate going down a rabbit hole, but I was awarded a rifle afterwards by Spikes Tactical because my rifle was a Spikes Tactical. And they sent Nick Goff to award me this rifle. Nick Goff spent 15 tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. And Nick Goff is an Army Ranger sniper. 15 tours. And Nick Goff told me, he complimented me in a way that I... I think that's the highest compliment a man like him could give a man like me. He said, I knew this wasn't your first time in a, holding a gun and using a gun. He said, you know how I knew that? And I said, I have no idea. He said, because 
you hit him six out of six rounds. I said, I did. He said, and yet you had two rounds left in your rifle. You didn't even have a full magazine, and you had two rounds left in your rifle. I said, I did. He said, you know what those two rounds tell me? He said, those two rounds tell me that you were taking only shots that you knew you had and no more. And when you didn't have a shot, you didn't take that shot. And so you still had two rounds left in your rifle. He said, most army rangers would have run their rifles dry. In a moment of panic, in a moment of, of, you know, everything happening around, they would have shot until they had no more ammunition. And he said, you shot only when you knew you had the shot and you didn't shoot when you didn't have a shot. And he said, that tells me a lot about, and I, I told him, I said, but no, see, because God was in charge of this. It wasn't me. It was God forcing me to, to make good decisions in a bad situation. He, he made sure that I didn't, that I had two rounds left. When it was all said and done, I didn't just go out there and just open up on the guy. Uh, I, I very slowly and methodically took the shots. I knew where each one of those shots were going. Uh, and I truly believe that God was orchestrating that also. Uh, that, that shot at 150 yards after running and having your adrenaline pumping to be able to shoot through a back windshield of a vehicle running away from you at 150 yards and hit through the driver's side seat. That was an amazing shot. And again, I'm not bragging on my, my ability. I'm bragging on the fact that God steadied my hand. That was a free-handed shot. I didn't have a rest. And that was an excellent shot. But what I would also say, Stephen, just interjecting here as well, and you know, you're talking to another uh, faith Believer, so I, I'm 100% with you and say that you know that was God guiding you. But what I want to make sure that the listeners get out of this is that was God guiding you long before this happened. And I, I agree somewhat with what that expert was saying to you is that it was the hours upon hours upon hours of training and practice that you gave yourself to prepare you for for this one moment. I think that was also we shouldn't lose sight of that was also God's hand in the work there as well. When there could have been other things to do with your family, you'd gone to the range. When there was other things you might have wanted to do, you'd gone to the range and you'd practice to to get those skills. So when you're in the moment, like you said, a 17% law enforcement hits and then you hit six out of eight, whatever it was, you know. Oh, it was um, six uh, out of six. Six I out of six, six, yeah. That I fired. Uh, but, I, you know, I want to talk about that a little bit too because the Bible addresses that and people don't quite understand that. Uh, you know, when David faced Goliath, every, you know, everybody's heard the story of David and Goliath. And the fact this little shepherd boy, this little young shepherd boy ran out and faced a giant. But what they don't understand is, look at, go back, and it made me really search and, and really study David and Goliath. Because David, David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that challenges the the army of the Lord, you know, David was incensed that nobody was going out there and taking on that challenge. And they took him to Saul and Saul said, you know, wear my body armor. David said, I don't want it. it he said, it, I am untested with it. Saul wanted David to go out there and represent him with his body armor, with his helmet, with his 
breastplate and stuff, you know, represent the king and go out there. David said, I don't want it. I am untested with it. David told him, said, I've killed a lion. I've killed a bear. I'll bring you this Philistine's head. Why did David think that? Uh, Scientists have gone in nowadays and they have tested in third world countries where they call them slingers, still protect their sheep with a slingshot. And a slinger can hit a wolf running through its flock with a rock out of the slingshot, running through the flock, and they hit that wolf. So David was trained like this, and the scientists have chronographed those stones. Those stones are flying at 900 feet per second. That's the muzzle velocity, a little faster than the muzzle velocity of a 45 ACP. David knew what he was doing. He could hit a running wolf. He killed a bear. He killed a lion. And it's it's faster velocity than shooting out of a pistol nowadays. And he hit Goliath right between the eyes. Lord made David, gave him that ability and trained him ahead of time for what God wanted him to do. And again, I, I truly believe that God took just as he did with David and trained me for that purpose ahead of time. Yeah, and that is great. I mean, I'm making so many notes, um, Stephen, from what you're saying. And I love the when you said that he was untested. He didn't want the the armor because he was untested with it. And I think um, I relate that quite a lot to us when I go to the gun range with some friends and we're trying different guns. And I'm like, why can I not? I haven't got my MMP in my hand. Why, why am I bag with this Glock? Is because most often I'm untested with it. I've got to stick to the area where I'm um, proficient with fascinating stuff and when i hear about a lot of the guys and girls that are on safety teams or within houses of worship or non-profits and they're carrying firearms uh, another conversation is often about well what is your life like post and um i guess maybe i can say this or get away with it being black and english in america you know but you are in texas where the attitude around firearms Stephen, is a bit different to some parts but i imagine even you post this incident your life must have changed knowing that you were a civilian but had to present yourself to this assailant, you fired shots. I mean, how, how was your, how's your life changed post this incident? How, how are you different and how do people perceive you differently, Stephen? Maybe you can take those two questions. How are you different and how do people perceive you differently knowing that you were the, the good guy with the gun? Right after the incident, uh, directly after the incident, when I did return back to work, in which they gave me three weeks paid off after this was over. But when I returned back to work, no one knew what to do with me. The people that I talked to in the hallways at work and stuff would would push right past me and not say a word, not, not even make eye contact. They didn't know what to do with me. It was very uncomfortable when I first came back from work. And I knew things, and I was told that things weren't that I was going to have to get used to a new normal is what they said. And I kept telling them, I love my old normal. I don't want a new normal. And they said, you're going to have to get used to a new normal. I truly believe that God has pushed me out of the position that I was in. I'm no longer a maintenance plumber. Instead, I'm known now as the barefoot defender. And I have, I've taken on that mantle and why I've taken on the mantle of the barefoot defender. Everybody knows I ran out without shoes. And I I believe that was even God's purpose. 
because just as the Israelites left Egypt and they didn't give take time to let their bread rise, and now they have the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, I think the mantle of the barefoot defender denotes how urgent it is to get into action. You don't have time to put on shoes when God calls. You just react. You do what God tells you to do at the moment, and you don't take that time or whatever. It's changed my life such that I've been into the Arctic Circle speaking with Native Alaskans about Christ and uh, was able to tell my story in a mucky with uh, Native Alaskans. And what a mucky is, is every Native American culture has a sweat lodge where they tell their religious experiences and stuff. And I was invited into a mucky with Alaskans to tell what I believe that God did for me that day and how he protected me and how he... So my life has changed. A trip into the Arctic Circle would have been a bucket list thing, and I would have been paying out of my own pocket and going to hunt, you know, and... And God did one better because I went to the Alaskan Arctic Circle. I did go hunt with the Alaskans. I I did go to the Arctic Circle. And not only did I go to the Arctic Circle, but I went to the Arctic Circle to hunt with Native Alaskans and had the opportunity to, to share my faith with them and tell them about Christ and what, what God has done for me. You know, and that's something that I could have never imagined. You know, I'm no longer a uh, a plumber. Now I I travel all over this country, and I teach. I, I work with survival mindset in Pennsylvania. I work with U.S. Law Shield in Georgia. I you know went with uh, sheepdog seminars in California and Ohio and. I've been all over this country speaking and training churches, safety response teams. And I never would have believed this. I I spoke before 70,000 people called out on stage by Donald Trump, and he stood behind me as I spoke. Um, Well, and and someone was coming to me as you're talking, and I I don't know who um, who is credited as saying this, but it's often um, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And I know you started off that statement by saying you're a maintenance plumber, but I think that's a really good way to look at it. But God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And it was a lot of life experience, a lot of proficiency with a firearm that led you to be that person there. Uh, and we're internally grateful that you that you did, Stephen. I guess if people listen to this across the country, they could be a facilities manager, operations administrator, or they could be someone on a safety team who's carrying a firearm. So it could be a wide spectrum of people listening to this conversation. What, what advice do you give to people that are walking into a church in a, in a role where they are the defender and they're carrying a firearm? I mean, what, what do you say to that person from your experience around their level of proficiency um, mindset and everything that would be needed because when you're carrying a firearm you've got to be prepared to use it in the type of incident where, where you did so I just love your uh, sort of understanding as to what do you advise safety team members or a church administrator to consider before they walk inside that church carrying a carrying a firearm 
I think I think you need to go out and be trained and be trained. If you're just shooting at flat targets, standing in one place, then uh, you're, you're training accuracy. And accuracy is fine, but it's not going to – if you're not shooting and moving at the same time, then you're the target. So to, to be proficient in accuracy is one thing. And uh, again, I'm going to quote from someone from history. White Earp said, fast is fine. Accuracy is final. We must learn to be slow at a hurried pace. So if you're just shooting and you're not shooting and moving and that's all you're practicing, you're going to be the target if this ever comes out. And I, w I would also say uh, if you're working on a safety response team, and this is really important, uh, I would say that that boredom is a blessing. So if you come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and you're bored because uh, nothing's happening, that's a blessing. But complacency is unacceptable. You can be bored, but don't become complacent. And you might think that you are having no impact on what's going on at your church. You show up Sunday after Sunday and you meet before church starts with your safety response team and everybody takes their positions and watches over their zones and stuff. And, and you think, what good am I doing here anyway? And grandma that goes and sets up on the third row every Sunday may have passed by you, saw your earpiece in your ear, knows that you're part of that safety response team, and as she shakes your hand and goes and takes her seat on the third row, she may be thinking in her head, I feel safe at this church because I know they have a team. You may be having an impact that you have no clue. And remember when Jesus said, the good shepherd goes when he has one lost sheep, he'll leave the 99 and go out and find the one sheep and bring him back. Just remember, when Christ goes out and finds that one sheep, you're left as a sheepdog in charge of the 99. And when Christ comes back, he wants to know you did your job to protect that 99. And, and you need to know that you are no more important than God's sheep, nor are you less important than God's sheep. You just have another job. You're a sheepdog. And Stephen, I love talking to you. There is um, just even having access to someone like you. I mean, really getting into the mindset of to what, well, what does it take? You know, when we are a person walking into a house of worship, you know, a place of God with a firearm or just in public in general, what does it really take to be able to draw that weapon, to point it towards another human and most probably consistently keep pulling that trigger and emptying your magazine that is not an easy thing to try and visualize and contextualize in your mind so getting insight to someone like you that can share your knowledge your words of wisdom and to know that the lord was alongside you uh, using the training that you had been consistent to get uh, that's going to help a lot of people to really understand hey this just isn't about having the, the, the gun in the holster on your hip that there's a lot more to this you've really got to, got to think around. And I, I love some of the key points you said, Stephen, about 
you know, training under stress, not just going to the range and just firing off rounds. And um, don't normalize in what you're listening to because, the, you know, don't let the denial uh, react to, to the truth. Stephen, as, as always, uh, a great uh, conversation. Really blessed and honoured that you spend some time with me. And I think me and you and your daughter have got to get a call along. So I've got to help you with, with, a, with a side project. So we need to get out, uh, need to get out of the range. But for now, Stephen Williford, uh, an honour and a privilege. And thank you for joining me today. Thank you for listening to the Church Security Made Simple podcast. If you're looking for training on how to keep you and your church community safe, or if you're interested in working with me on my five-week group coaching program, please head over to worshipsecurity.org. And if you've enjoyed this podcast episode, don't forget to rate and review wherever you are listening. Now, I'll be back with you on the next episode, but until then, stay safe, have a blessed day, and remember, always plan, prepare, and protect your ministry.